and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Deb McKnight. Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about Singapore versus New Zealand. What's the difference between the property markets? Now, it's really interesting. We took a Singapore investor who's been purchasing in New Zealand out for lunch the other day. He wanted to come in and have a wee chit-chat to us. And we were trying to understand, well, why is it that a Singaporean would buy over in New Zealand. So in this episode, what I want to do is give you guys living in New Zealand a perspective on the differences between investing overseas and investing over here. And it has the added benefit if anybody's listening in from Singapore to kind of understand those differences and it'll help us realise actually we've got it pretty good. What's number one in terms of the differences, mate? Well, the first one is the tax, and this is going to blow your mind. So stamp duty over in Singapore, when you're buying a property, is 2.46%, okay? So if you're buying a property that's a million dollars, then you're going to pay the government $24,600. That's just to buy the property. So every time I want to buy a property, i got to pay the government some money just because I want to buy a property. Yeah, and it gets worse. If you want to buy an additional property as an investor, so you already own your house and you want to buy a second property, you have to pay an additional buyer stamp duty. So what, another 2.5%? Oh, no, 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 no. For the second property, it's another 17% in addition to the 2.46% that you pay as standard stamp duty. For your third and onwards, wait, 25%. An additional 25%. Uh-huh. So if you buy a million dollar property for your second property, then you're going to pay additional buyer stamp duty of $170,000 plus your $24,600 baseline stamp duty. That's almost $200,000 in total that you're going to pay in stamp duty. So you would need an enormous amount of capital growth. You know, you're going to have to get an extra 20% capital growth. Before you break even. Before you break even. And on top of that, you've got to pay that up front, right? Yeah, the thing is the bank's not going to lend you that money. So it's a much higher barrier to entry. You need to be really rich to be able to invest. And then if you sell the property within three years, (laughs) there's more stamp duty. So if you buy today, sell tomorrow, then it's 12% and it goes down progressively as time goes on. In New Zealand, do you know what our stamp duty is, Ed? Zero dollars. Zero dollars. It's actually outrageous. In fact, I remember when we were talking to this investor, he said that a Chinese national had recently bought 10 apartments in Singapore. They paid $80 million in stamp duty. Now, let's be real. Those properties would be, you know, pretty expensive properties if you're paying $80 million. But... If you're paying a quarter of the value of your properties, an additional buyer stamp duty, 25%. Holy hell, what an enormous barrier to entry. So if you compare it over here in New Zealand, it's going to be much easier to get started because you don't have to pay those taxes up front in cash. Now, difference number two is the control you have over your property. Now, there's something really interesting in Singapore. They've got effectively two property markets. So there's the public housing market and the private housing market. Now, what's the public market? Well, over there, the government builds a lot of apartments and it's by the Singapore Housing and Development Board or the HDB. Now, four in five Singaporeans, 80% live in housing and development board properties. And in fact, did you know that 90% of the land in Singapore is owned by the government? That's crazy. Enormous amount. That is why the private market, the properties that are owned not by the government, are so expensive because there's such high demand, but there's not a lot of them. Because if you want to live in one of these 
public housing market properties. Now, there are some restrictions, like you've got to earn less than, I think it's 14K a month or, you know, 200K New Zealand dollars per year. Now, that's a a really, really good income, but that's why 80% of Singaporeans live in these properties. And if you are able to get one of those, then you get it pretty heavily subsidised. So from around 470K New Zealand dollars for a three-bedroom apartment was the example given. Now, the interesting thing here, though, is if you buy in that public market, there is less control over that property. So what I mean by that is you cannot borrow more against it. So in New Zealand, you buy a house, goes up in value, you want to buy your next investment property, what do you do? You borrow against your own house, pull the money out, and you go buy an investment. No, you can't do that in the Singaporean market. You can't borrow more against HDB property. You can't borrow more against that house that's been provided by the government. And on top of that, if you don't qualify because you earn more than that, well, then you've got to go to the private market. So, yep, the entry point for the public market might be 400k Singaporean dollars, but the prices jump up to 1.2 to 1.3 million if you want to get into the private market. And according to The Economist, my favourite news source, prices on the private market, if bought off developer, can be up to three times more expensive. Difference number three is the leverage that you've got. So if you want to buy an investment property in Singapore, you need to have a 55% deposit and it needs to be in cash, according to the investor we spoke to. So over here is 20% deposit if it's a new build, 40% for an existing if you're a Kiwi, and a 30% deposit if you're buying from overseas and it's a new build in New Zealand. Now, again, like Ed said before, the cash here is that you can't borrow the money against your house if it comes from the public housing system. So forget about everything you know about usable equity because that's not a thing in Singapore. Whereas over here, you can do what you like with your house because you own it. You didn't get any benefit from the government or if you did, you still own it. There's no caveats. So if you're Singaporean and you buy a house in New Zealand, you can borrow more as a percentage, you need less of a deposit, so less restrictions, more leverageability. You know, there was another interesting difference, which was around how property management works. Now, I must admit, when I was fact-checking this episode, and of course we fact-check everything we possibly can to make sure that what we say on the show is accurate, I wasn't able to fact-check this section, but I'll tell you what this investor said to me around property management. They said, well, firstly, there's a 91% home ownership rate in Singapore, and that's because of the the public housing system. So there's very few renters. So the renters you do get are going to be, say, Kiwi expats who are moving into Singapore or big bankers over there who move there temporarily. Now, what they also said, though, is that property managers get paid up front for their service and so are not as interested in looking after the property on an ongoing basis. So what I mean by that is... Let's say you've got a tenant for a year, you might pay them two weeks worth of rent up front as their management fee, and then because of that, they're not regularly maintaining or going through that property or looking after that property, they're less interested because of that because they've already got their money up front. Now, I couldn't verify that, but there was one anecdote from somebody who knows a bit about buying property in Singapore. Difference number five is that most people live in apartments. So there's no quarter acre dream in Singapore. Well, if it is, it's just going to remain a dream. Singapore is only slightly bigger than Christchurch and about the same size as central Auckland. And it's three times smaller than the Coromandel Peninsula. But the population is 5.6 million people, which is about half a million people more than New Zealand as a whole. So way more people, but way, way, way smaller area to house all these people in. So people obviously have to live 
in high rises. They live in these apartments and only the really, really rich get a standalone property. So entry level price for that, kind of about $4 million. And that's three floors on about 250 square metres of land. So four million Singaporean dollars for you know a big townhouse, effectively. Yeah. Now number six, and this is the last one on our list of differences between the New Zealand and Singaporean markets, is that most apartments in Singapore are leasehold. So they have a 99-year ground lease to the government because the government owns 90% of the land in the country. Now, you might be wondering, well, okay, so we buy this apartment and it's got a 99-year ground lease back to the government. Okay, well, what happens at the end of that? That is a very good question. When I asked the two Singaporean gentlemen that we were having lunch with, they started laughing at us, saying, oh, nobody knows. They keep kicking the can down the road. I thought, oh, that's very strange. Let me fact check that. So I go through my one news source, The Economist, (laughs) and they're like, yeah, same thing. Nobody really knows what's going to happen at the end of this, which is actually quite annoying for Singaporean people because some of the older properties from the public housing system are 40 years through their 99-year leases. So they don't know whether that's going to be extended or what the government's going to decide to do at the end of that. Now, Andrew, we've gone through six differences. Look, Singapore is a really unique housing market. Not many countries have anything like this in place. But what's the key message for New Zealand investors? Well, I think sometimes we can get a little despondent by all the new rules that we have to follow, the new taxes we have to pay. But when you compare what Singaporeans have to pay and put up with compared to us, makes me feel quite good about still being able to invest in New Zealand. You can buy a standalone four-bedroom, two-bathroom property in New Zealand for 830k. Whereas in Singapore, you'd need 4.6 million New Zealand dollars to do that. And that's just to get an, an entry-level standalone property. Absolutely. And, and I guess the other big part is you don't have to be rich to get started in investing in New Zealand. You just have a bit of usable equity and some income to help manage some top-ups. Whereas because of the tax system there, you really have to be rich to be able to fund even just the stamp duties to get started, let alone the need for a cash deposit. And after going through these differences, it, it kind of made me think, okay, now I get it. I understand why there are Singaporean investors who actively want to purchase over here in New Zealand so that they can make best use of their money in terms of the leverage and avoid those high entry barriers that they've got over in Singapore. Hey, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, we've got a webinar on tonight. We're talking about how to buy your first or your next investment property. And I tell you what, if you're listening in from Singapore, you should come along. It's going to be a great time. Links down in the show notes, so tap or swipe over the cover art. It's in there. Or just go to opuspartners.co.nz. listening to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you the most. Nothing's in the property market. Until next time, 